So thinking sort of holistically about yourself as a candidate. You've had a lifetime's worth of experience in a lot of different areas and making sure that you are taking stock of that. And then again, kind of thinking about what do I want to do and where do I need to level up? Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of World Strides inaugural podcast, Changing Lives Through Education Abroad a weekly series of conversations with international education's most interesting thought leaders, as well as discussions on emerging trends, best practices, and innovation happening in our field. I'm your host, Zach McKinnis, Senior Director of Campus Partnerships with WorldStrides, and I'm so excited about today's conversation. Today, we'll be talking about finding your dream job in international education and leveling up your career in study abroad. I am thrilled to be joined by my friend, Angela Manginelli. Angela is a longtime fixture in international education and one of the funnier colleagues I know from my days on the road. Angela, in many ways, pioneered the way our field engages and thinks about study abroad alumni, and in fact, is one of the co-founders of LFA, Lessons from Abroad. These days, Angela is an innovative career coach dedicated to making the hiring process more humane for both the candidate and for the hiring manager. I can't wait to pick her brain. I'm so excited for this conversation. You do not want to miss this episode. Angela, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me and that wonderful intro. I appreciate it. (laughs) Absolutely. Could you start by describing your career trajectory to us? Sure. I've taken a little bit of the long and winding path, if you will. So I went to Ball State University for undergrad and grad school. And I did photojournalism and art photography as my major and minor. And during that time, fell in love with being an orientation leader. So, you know, when you come in as a freshman and you've got someone that's kind of showing you the ropes. And that led to my interest in student affairs administration and higher education, which is what I ended up staying at Ball State and doing my master's degree in. Graduated from there, went to Boston Uh, Well, sorry, I should say in there, I studied abroad, which was a very key component to the experience. Got to go back as a grad assistant for the same program that I had gone on as an undergrad. And that really kicked off my career in international education. The experience that I had working abroad as the grad assistant for a year and a half directly led to my first role, which was with USA. And I was working as like a university relations partnerships sort of person. From there, took a pause out of international education and went to Chicago. And my background, in addition to what I mentioned, was in theater and improv. And so I felt called to Chicago to kind of see, to see what if, right? Like, you know, just to see what the possibilities were. And my boss at USA, the amazing Samantha Cooper sent me the job description for my first role at AIFS. She was like, hey, I know you want to get back in the field. I saw this and immediately thought of you. And it was basically for a university relations type role. I applied, went through the application process, got it. And I spent 12 years at AIFS where I had six different roles, ton of experience like that was so formative. And, and if you had told me when I started, hey, this is what you're going to end up doing when you leave, I would never have believed it because the jobs that I ended up doing after that first one really didn't exist. Um, And so that for me was 
was huge. I was able to carve out my little space in alumni and and doing uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility work. And that was ultimately what I left AIFS, kind of serving in the VP role for that area. Alongside AIFS, as you mentioned, I was one of the co-founders of LFA, Lessons from Abroad, and did that for more than a decade. Had the opportunity to serve as one of the the leaders of the organization and uh, to be able to help sort of set up re-entry conferences. We started with one region, we expanded to three in California, and then eventually took it to more than 20 regions across the U.S. And from there, left the field, which was quite frankly, one of the hardest decisions that I that I ever made. But I just sort of knew that I wanted to take what I had learned in the field and go apply it elsewhere. And so I worked as a recruiter for a tech organization. And it was a startup. So it was a really interesting experience to sort of take what I had been doing as a career coach for college students, and then be on the other side of it, right, working as a recruiter, working with folks who were coming in and trying to get jobs and and taking them through that process. That's where kind of came up with the humane hiring movement. And then unfortunately was laid off in January, like a lot of folks in the tech space. And I'm still sort of figuring out what I want to do next, but doing some career coaching, doing some illustration, have started my own company, uh, work is for the birds creative. And a lot of what I focus on in my illustration is career related. So trying to bring some humor and some visuals to a topic that I know causes a lot of people stress. I know that the hiring process could use a little more humor from time to time, can it? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I I knew you were a woman of many talents, but I I hadn't heard your story like that. So so thank you for sharing that. And so Angela, what does it mean to be a career coach? And how can our colleagues and listeners determine if a career coach might be a good fit for them? That's a great question. Well, first off, career coaches are really just folks that are helping other individuals to find jobs. Um, A lot of people, myself included, uh, who are career coaches have a background in career development, right? And some of us have worked as recruiters, not everyone, but there's usually some sort of background in the career space. And a career coach can be really instrumental for folks that have a high degree of discomfort with job searching. Now, let me preface by saying, I don't know many people that are like, you know what I love doing? I love applying for jobs and, you know, going through interviews. It's inherently a very stressful process. So what a career coach can do is really help to refine your documents, whether that be resumes, cover letters, LinkedIn profiles, uh, but can also, equally importantly, help you to decide what you want to do. I think a lot of folks are really especially now more than ever, are, are kind of thinking, okay, you know, maybe I was working in one field, but either there's some instability in that field and I feel like I need to, to pivot into something else, or I've done what I can do in this space and I just want to sort of explore other, other passions. So a career coach can really help you to kind of narrow your focus and figure out which of your skills are going to maybe be transferable, how to best connect the dots for employers to say, hey, you know, I used to work in international education, but I also can be a recruiter, right? So really kind of understanding how your skills transfer. And then also helping with interview prep, knowing that interviewing is inherently stressful, working with folks. I think we tend to take our own experiences for granted, right? When you describe what it is you do in your day, you're like, you get used to it. So 
career coaches can really be a fresh set of eyes to look at your experience and say, hey, not everyone has that skill set and you're really underselling yourself. And here is how how you can make yourself an even stronger candidate, Um, knowing that a lot of companies are laying folks off right now. It can also help to expand your network. Right. Career coaches tend to know a lot of people in a lot of different fields, and they can really help to hopefully make your job search quicker. Absolutely. And I remember, you know, during the, the depths of the pandemic, not, not to mention the P word, yeah. when many folks <laughs> in our field were, were looking for new opportunities and just having so yeah. many conversations with folks about how many of the skills that those of us who are international educators have that are actually transferable to so many other, other industries and fields. And that was very eye-opening to me. And so what are some pro tips that you can share that can help our listeners level up their international education job search? First and foremost, doing your research, right? Knowing that there is a, a, a wealth of information out there, more than ever, right? You've got these incredible sites like Glassdoor and, and uh, Indeed Reviews that you can go and learn sort of behind the scenes about companies. And, and this is not just, in, you know, those, those sites are not international education focused, but there are reviews. So you can kind of get an understanding of what is the climate and culture of an organization. I think that's super important. I also think that, that folks tend to forget that data is super important. And data is going to look different in every single role. But if you know your stats, if you know your success rate for placements and internships, or if you know how many students you were sending abroad and things like that, that's really powerful information that a lot of times people forget. And so making sure to kind of know know your stats, right? If you were a baseball player or a, or any sort of athlete, you know, hey, this is this is you can tell that I'm not an athlete. I'm like this is my RBI. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Know your stats, right? Um and then also companies at the end of the day, a company is hiring not just for the goodness of their heart, but they're hiring because they have a problem. And so if you as a job seeker can demonstrate that you can solve whatever problem it is that they're having, that's going to put you into a really key position, right? And it's about connecting the dots and knowing, okay, these are the skills that they're asking for, and this is what I'm bringing to the table, and and being able to really present it succinctly. And I think that's also kind of going back to one of your earlier questions, why work with a career coach? That's something that career coaches can help with, is knowing how to present yourself in the best possible way, knowing which things are important to highlight and which you can kind of keep in your back pocket, but you don't have to come out of the gate with. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And, and you know, we know that that these days, many searches are using technology to do at least the initial review of resumes. For those of us who haven't applied for a job in a while or who are less familiar, Talk to us about the do's and don'ts so that our resumes get through that very important first round. Absolutely. So a lot of companies are using applicant tracking systems or ATS for short. And what that is, is it's just a computer program or software that is reviewing your resume before it gets to a human. So one of the best things to know is that anytime you go to a website and you're applying for a job, If it asks you to upload a copy of your resume, 
that means they're using an ATS. There are, as you can imagine, a lot of different companies that are ATS providers. So each one is a little bit nuanced and and the technology over the past decade has, I mean, I remember being at a conference years ago and first hearing about ATS and I was like, whoa, okay, this is interesting. And just to see how far it's come. So once you know that a company is using ATS, you can uh, check out a, a website called JobScan. Full disclosure, I am not affiliated with JobScan at all. I just think they have a really great tool. Uh, the gentleman who started the company was an engineer, is, well, was, I guess he's the head of a company now, but he was an engineer and he created a version of the ATS process so that applicants could understand and better tailor their information and their, you know, their resumes and cover letters before they apply. So kind of giving them like a behind the scenes view. JobScan, uh, will basically help you to tailor your resume and cover letter, which is one of the most important things you can do. So when ATS is scanning, it is looking for keyword matches. So for example, Zach, if you were applying to a job or one of your friends was applying to a job uh, and they saw that the job description said manage, you want to use manage as your verb, you know, one of your verbs in your resume. You may, in your, in your stock version of your resume, you may have oversee. It's a great verb, but it's not going to, it's not going to, it's not going to kick off for the robots, if you will, the way that if you use the exact terminology. So that's a big thing. And it, it does take time, right? So one of the best pieces of advice that I have for job seekers is it's not about the quantity of jobs that you're applying to. Yes, it's important. I'm not saying don't apply to multiple jobs, but know that the the more time that you spend tailoring your resumes and cover letters, the more important and the higher the, the percentage of matching that you're going to be getting for, for that job. And it really is, I hate to say it, but it's sort of a game, right? In the sense of this is what they're asking for. You have to make sure that you are using the same terminology and demonstrating, hey, I've looked at your job description and I'm matching it. Not word for word, right? You don't want to. You don't want to take huge <laughs> chunks of their their uh, text and copy and paste it into your resume. But you do want to make sure that you're speaking to the things that are the most important. You know, the higher up in a job description that is, the more times or the more times that it appears in the job description, it should match that in your resume. It is a numbers game as well. Right now, especially with a lot of companies having laid off, you really want to be one of the first. I would say one of the first 200 applicants. I can say this as a former recruiter, you would be shocked at the number of applications that can come in super quickly. Now, I know when you go, you know, I use LinkedIn, like a lot of people, when you go to LinkedIn and you see the easy apply button, you think, oh, this, as the name suggests, it's very <laughs> easy, right? Yeah. Click it. And what I will say is that number that you might see when you're a candidate is not always accurate because sometimes people will click through and they don't end up completing the application. So don't let it stop you from applying to something, but know that the earlier in that process you are, the better. So setting up using LinkedIn to set up your, your job notifications, your job alerts, so that you can be one of those first applicants, I think is really important. The other side of that is also making sure that you are using your network. If you're applying at a company and you see we have a mutual connection or you know someone that's there, reach out to them. 
that's going to still help, right? Having that human touch and having the person that can vouch for you, especially if they know you pretty well, and be able to go to the hiring manager and say, hey, I know Zach is great. You definitely want to review, you know, his resume. It's sort of like a one-two punch in that sense, where you've got the technology that you need to know how to navigate, and then you also need to make sure that you're leveraging your network. That's great. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a a fast changing landscape. And now with, you know, artificial intelligence and, you know, what does that mean for resumes? And I don't know, it's hard to say, right? You know, yeah. but I wanted to ask you about something that I've often asked about um, from friends of mine in the field. You know, oftentimes we need to make a career pivot or we want to make a career pivot. What are some tips you have for connecting current experience with a new type of role? Any role that you're in, international education included, you're you're gaining skills and experience, right? So every role that you're in, no matter if it's entry level, if it's if it's customer service related or not, you are gaining skills. So part of what you need to do is really take an inventory of the skills that you have. And I think that's something that people often forget to do because because we live in such a fast paced sort of space where it's like, I don't even have time to think about the skills I have. The time that you take to pause and really go, okay, here are the skills that I have. And here are the skills that I want to continue working with. That's, that's a key piece right there. Uh, just because you have a skill, and even a skill that you're really good at, doesn't mean that that's necessarily where your heart is or what you want to be doing. So taking time to do that sort of self-inventory and then also balancing it with what space are you pivoting into? What, are, what skills are valued there? And then seeing, okay, I have the top five skills in this in this field and industry, but I'm missing a couple. And then you sort of look and go, okay, what are these skills that you're missing? And are there ways in your current role that you can level up with those? Is it a matter of, you know, watching some YouTube videos, reading some articles, things like that, just having a working familiarity? It's also important, and I would be remiss if I did not mention, that if you read a job description, and you see that you have 60% or higher of the, the requirements that they're asking for, you should be applying. If it's something that's of interest to you, right? If you read it and you're like, oh, no, no, thank you. Don't apply, right? Um, but if it's something that you read and, but you're, you know, we, we all have those little voices in our head that is the doubter, right? And is like, oh, you don't have enough of the skills. There is no such thing as a perfect candidate. There is no such thing as a perfect company or a perfect job, right? We are all human. <laughs> We're inherently flawed. We make mistakes. No one is perfect. So if you read it, and I think a lot of companies are doing a better job of sort of putting language around that in the job description that says, hey, we know that you know no one is perfect. And so if you meet these requirements, sort of apply. But even if they don't have that nudge, do it, right? And, and something to keep in mind, too, is that your skills are not just built in the workplace. I think about like, going back to sort of the, the role that I did in improv. Those skills that I, that I gained there have served me on a daily basis, not only in the work world, but in life in general, right? So thinking sort of holistically about yourself as a candidate. You've had a lifetime's worth of experience in a lot of different areas and making sure that you are taking stock of that. And then again, kind of thinking about what do I want to do? And, and where do I need to level up? 
It can come through volunteering. Obviously, you know, back when LFA was a thing, that was one of the things that I loved most about what we were doing with LFA, beyond helping students to unpack their reentry experience, is that we were helping professionals in the field to be able to get some of those skills that they may not have been able to get in their full-time jobs. Um, so kind of think about those different areas, whether it be in the field or outside, that you can volunteer and be able to to gain those skills. And I think also just, I mentioned it before, but doing informational interviews, especially if you are pivoting out of something, you know, that is very familiar to you, making sure that you're talking to people that are in those roles or in, in that field and making sure that it's what it looks like or what your perception of it is, is that the reality? And oftentimes there's a little space between the two and that's okay. But is the, is the actuality close enough to, to what you need it to be, to be a space that you actually, you know, want to move into? Yeah, that's great. You know, I, I, I loved LFA, right? You know, cause not only did we create space for our, for our students to, to unpack their experiences, but it also created a community for all of us as international educators. And, you yeah. know, uh, that, that ability to get to know people that do what you do 10 miles down the road and, because those kinds of connections can lead to so much potential down the road. You never know what's going to happen with a connection like that. So that's great. So you and I both know that international education is a small and intimate field. This could mean that our career pathways are nonlinear, and it could mean changing institutions to advance. How could people be strategic about these kinds of moves while at the same time keeping true to themselves? Well, first off, there's not just one path to success. And this is something that I used to tell my students often, because I think we don't hear it enough. We get this idea of, okay, well, I have to do this, and then this, and then this, and here I go. Uh, there's not just one path. And I, I have, have seen that in my own career, right? I, I left the field early, early in my involvement with the field. And of course, my mom and dad were like, what are you doing? You know, and I was like, shh, trust me, I got this, you know, the, the, the arrogance of a, of a 20 something year old. Um, but I trusted myself. And so I think I encourage folks to sort of trust yourself. You, you are the expert of your experience, right? If something seems interesting to you, if something is, is pulling at you, pay attention to that. I think taking, I mentioned earlier, taking the time to sort of inventory your skills. Also take the time to think about what is important to you. Our relationship with work has changed drastically, you know, collectively as humans over the past five years, especially. And I think it's going to continue to change, right? We see AI coming in and sort of changing the relationship with jobs and applying and, and all sorts of good stuff. Um, but think about what is, what is essential for you? What is going to make you want to get out of bed and, and go to work each day, right? Whether that be remotely or in a physical office. Because if you have your list of your skills and then you have the list of the things that, that sort of feed your soul, that makes it really easy or much easier when you're looking at job descriptions. There's going to be a lot of things that you're, you're qualified to do, but not all of them are going to resonate with you. And so especially if you are at a point where you're wanting to be strategic and wanting to make sure that you're kind of staying true to yourself, you have to know what is a priority to you that North Star you can come back to, right? And I'm a big fan of, of making lists. So I'm a visual learner. You know, if you if you also, uh, if that resonates with you, make a list. 
put it beside your computer, right? You know, if you're in an office space, maybe don't put it in front of your office computer, but keep it somewhere where you're going to look at it daily and, and keep that in mind as you're going through. And especially with job searching right now, you're playing the short game and the long game, right? Job searching is taking a lot longer. So just sort of know that what is meant for you is not going to pass you by and you just got to keep putting in the effort, right? But if you always can come back to like, here is what I'm good at and here is what I care about, that makes it so much easier. Yeah, the, your advice about playing the long game really resonates with me You know, as, as someone who uh, waited a good two years to get back into the field during the pandemic until, until the right opportunity came about. So when we become comfortable and effective in every aspect of a role, it's almost as if inertia can take over, right? Uh, and it can feel like stepping off a cliff when we think about our next move. What advice would you give those who are beginning to think about themselves in this sort of situation? Well, first, I think acknowledging that it is a big decision, right? It, it is something that shouldn't be taken lightly. And so just sort of like taking a moment to sort of acknowledge, yeah, this is this is a big deal and I'm, I'm moving. And um, I think it's it's natural to feel a little bit anxious or uncertain. And, and to, to me, just to acknowledge that and to recognize it and name it and say, hey, yes, this understandably, I would feel uncertain in this, in this space. To me, I think back to when I was at AIFS and even the roles that I had proposed I was terrified to step into them, you know, because it was it was a new thing and I was going to have to push myself outside of my comfort zone. But I do think as international educators, that's one of the best things that that our field collectively does is we tend to encourage people to step outside of their comfort zone. That's part of studying abroad, right? And international exchange is that we are physically putting ourselves into an area that is unfamiliar and uncomfortable in many cases and and seeing what we learn there, right? And and so bringing the bravery that you had when you were studying abroad and and kind of encouraging others to do that, bring that to yourself and to your own career. There was a time that you didn't know all of the things that you know now. And I think we often sort of forget that, right? Where we, again, we take our experience for granted, especially if you've been in a space for so long. Um, but to really just sort of say, it's okay. If it's, if it's scaring me, to me, that usually means it's something that is worth doing. Now, let me clarify there. If it scares you to like an unhealthy degree... Okay, maybe don't do that. But I think there's a fear, a little bit of fear is a good thing, right? When you're reaching, when you're sort of stepping, what feels like a step beyond where you have a skill set, that allows you to learn and to grow. And I think that's super important for me personally, that's super important for my entire career. I want to always be sort of reaching and, and pushing myself to go a little further than where I've been. That's great. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Thinking of our listeners who, you know, may want to advance in their careers over the next couple of years, what are some steps that can be taken from one's current position to intentionally build skills and position themselves to take that next step? Hopefully, you have a supervisor that is invested in your growth and development. And then I'm going to sidebar and say, I know not everyone does, right? So that's first thing is kind of figuring out like, 
what what do you have in the way of support in your organization? And sometimes your biggest cheerleaders may not be your direct supervisors. So I think even if your direct supervisor is not invested, think about the folks in your organization that are and how you can liaise with them and work with them. I think, again, kind of going back to that that list I mentioned where, you, you know, you've got the, the skills that you have and then the skills that you want to develop, depending on what that skill is, will determine, is it something that you can have a conversation with your supervisor and say, you know, I'm really interested in this, or I feel like I would like to build competency in this area. And I like to, to sort of do the heavy lifting and come with a plan. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a type A person. I like to have a plan. So I would usually approach my supervisor and say, hey, I would like to, to learn this or I would like to sort of take this on. And this is how it's going to benefit the organization and the role. And usually, if you can sort of wrap it in, yeah, it's going to benefit you as well, but it's also going to benefit your organization or your institution. That can be really helpful and really powerful because it shows that you're thinking not only about yourself, but also about, about your company or your, your, your institution. Um, and just know that you might have to ask multiple times, right? And just because you don't get it the first time doesn't mean, oh, okay, I got to stop and I should never ask for it again, right? No, sometimes you got you to gotta just keep chipping away at it, right? And it may take months and years, but I think... For me, I always, that persistence was really important to me. Like, hey, I'm not going to drop this. This is something <laughs> I care about a great deal, right? I think about alumni, the, you know, when I, when I first sort of uh, presented the idea of focusing on alumni at AIFS, I was, a, I was a field staff member. I was out in the field and that was something that I was good at and enjoyed doing. But I also knew that there was an incredible opportunity to just have a role that focused on alumni. And I had to, I had to ask for that multiple times and had to, to sort of leverage the work that I was doing with LFA along with, you know, the work that I was doing in the field staff role and say, look, I've, I've got an idea, I've got a vision and, and I need you to trust me. And here as a reminder are some of the things that I've done and maybe why you shouldn't trust me. Right. So again, I go back to, you're playing the short game and the long game. You got to just be persistent. If it's something that you care about, don't drop it. And if you can't find it within your own organization, think about the avenues around and outside that you can can utilize. That's a great tip. Yeah. The art of persistence, right? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you mentioned a bit of this earlier when we were talking about keeping a running list. But what are some other tips that you have to help folks keep track of their progress in their position so they can ace their annual review and eventually use that in job interviews? Well, I'm going to go back to the list of wins because I think it's one thing to say, hey, make a list of wins. How do you do that? Right? One, you can have it on your, you know, you can have a Word doc or a Google Drive doc, whatever format works for you. If you like to keep handwritten notes, whatever, like figure out what process is going to work best for you. But then also have a calendar reminder. Oh, that's a for great me, job. Yeah. Friday afternoon. That was the time, right? Because you were, were closing out the week. It was nice to be able to look back for me and go, okay, here, here is what the last week included. And then also that helped to set me up for next week. Okay, I got these things accomplished, but I need to build on it next. So what, you know, what are the next steps? So it was sort of like a um 
archiving of things that have been done, but then also projecting for the future. So having that calendar reminder every Friday afternoon for me worked really well. Um, and then it forced me to engage with it, right? I also, I'm a big fan of tabs. So I keep tabs open on my, you know, on my computer. And it was, it was one that I just always kept open. So I could sort of see it and be like, oh yeah, okay, I got to do that. Something in that running list of wins as well is you can put your data there. Now, I want to be really clear about the data piece. You shouldn't be giving away proprietary information, right? (laughs) That is not the goal of it. But it really is to quantify the efforts and the impact that you are having. And that is something that oftentimes we forget with memory, right? So the the two things that I tell candidates to do is one, have a running version of your resume that's like, it's it's not pretty, it's not formatted for anyone. You are the only person that is engaging with this document. You should keep information about who your supervisors were. If you had direct reports, how many What salary were you making when you came in? What were you making when you left, right? It's just sort of like your work history at large. It's all of the details, right? It's saving. um, This is something I forgot to mention earlier, but is important for like job search tips. Uh, Save a copy of the job description because it will get pulled likely before you get interviewed. And you're not going to get a copy of it again. So usually what I do when I'm job searching is I have a Google Drive, you know, folder that's for job searching. I create a subfolder for every company that I've applied to and the position within that. I save a copy of the job description. I save a copy of the tailored resume and cover letter that I sent. And I can always go back to it because there's, you know, oftentimes you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can cut, copy and paste and then tweak for future roles. So that's something. And then the data piece, again, you sort of people tend to forget that. So you can put that in that space as well. And the list of wins can also be used for flagging potential answers to interviews, interview questions, right? So if you had a a win that was maybe really challenging or something like I had to, I had to work on this for years or months at a time, flag it. In whatever way, again, works for you and whatever system works best. But for me, I like to highlight things in yellow so that, you know, I can see them when I'm going through the document really quickly and be like, oh, okay, wait, I need to look at that more closely. And so that sort of lessons learned and wins list is an interview prep doc. It's also when you're going into your annual review, you can look at it and go, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I have, I have a lot of wins. And I want to clarify with the wins, they don't always have to be like, oh, I created this giant document or this new program or whatever, right? Like it can be little and big wins. They're all important. And, and oftentimes when you look at them sort of holistically later, you can see the through lines, right? There's themes that come up and you're like, oh, I didn't even know that I cared about that thing that much or whatever, right? You can sort of look at your own experience with a with a degree of um, separation. That's great. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. So let's talk a little bit about our friends who are early career international educators. Um, you know, yes. so as, as you and I both know, international ed is infamous for being a field where landing that first foot in the door job can be the most daunting challenge. Many of us have had students or colleagues come up to us and say, 
Zach, I want to do what you do. Where do I start? And so what are some resources that you would recommend um, to, to our listeners to have in their back pocket that would aid in those types of conversations? That's a great question. I think, and I know I mentioned this a couple times before, I think one of the the biggest things that you have as an established professional in international education is a network of people who are also in international education. And so I think being able as much as possible to, to do informational interviews, oftentimes the, the knowledge that we sort of take for granted because it's commonplace to us is really important and helpful for those that are trying to get into the field. So one of the things that I still to this day do is informational interviews for folks, even though I'm not really in the field anymore, I still do informational interviews for those that want to get into the field. So if you're listening and you want to, you know, reach out, find me on LinkedIn, I'm always happy to, to have a chat. But I think also being able to connect once you know what someone's area or, or sort of focus is, connecting them with the people that are in that area as well right? That can be really important. Um, certainly the job boards, right? We've got diversity abroad, we've got NAFSA, forums, CUSEL, like those, again, are things that are shorthand for us in the field, but folks outside of the field probably don't know about. And so there's a ton of information on those websites. Obviously, there's information for, you know, behind the members sort of uh, login, but there's a lot of great information just on the public version of those websites. So making sure that, that folks know about those. Um, and then also, I'm a big fan of volunteering, right? It's, it's something that I've done throughout my entire career. And I think helping folks to understand that, yes, there are only so many hours in the day, right? So you may not have a ton of capacity to volunteer, but there are some great opportunities that we're also, will be able to get you hooked in to the field at large. You can build those relationships, you can do the volunteering, you can um, become a subject expert in an area. You're not going to know everything at the beginning, right? But if you can encourage folks, hey, there's a lot of different lanes that you can choose and then connect them to the, the specific resources within that lane, I think is really important. The flip side or the other side as being someone that is working a full-time job and also trying to give back to those that want to join is having some templates that you can, you know, just like when you're reaching out to students to encourage them to study abroad, having some templated language that you can use that saves time, I think was also really helpful. The for power of the well. template. That's a fabulous tip right there. Uh, yeah, thank you very <laughs> much. So I just have one final question for you, my friend. As you think about the international education job search in 2023, what makes you hopeful? I am hopeful that people still care a great deal. That, I think, is one of the things that I appreciate the most about international education. And I mentioned it earlier, you know, the people that work in this field are historically, or, you know, for the most part, by and large, they're people that care. And we need more people that care because they're the ones that are typically out there doing actions, right? You know, we're, we're calling our senators, we're calling, you know, we're, we're signing petitions, we're protesting, we're doing, we're doing the, the important work. And so I think there are a lot of folks right now that are really passionate and care. And that's exciting 
for the future, right? That makes me excited that that things are going to change in a positive direction, right? <laughs> um, because there are people, you know, that are out there and and really pushing back on things that aren't working and systems that are broken. And they're not just saying, hey, the system is broken, but also trying to present solutions. Um, I think international education is a is a group of people that not only care a great deal, but are really good at problem solving, right? In many cases, we have to work with like limited budgets and constraints and, and we get it done. Um, and so that ingenuity and that tenacity, I think, are really important and super, super important in the job searching space, right? Because again, you're playing the short game and the long game. And so just knowing that like all the energy, all the the research and all the informational interviews and all of those things that you do, it pays off, right? If you keep doing it and you just keep keep an eye on what is your North Star and what do you care about and and have all of your actions aligned with that, whew, get out of here. <laughs> the world's not ready for that yet, but we need it. So, <laughs> Well, I can't imagine a better place to end it than right there. Angela Manginelli, thank you so much for being here. This was such a fun hour. It has flown by. It was a blast. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. And and to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Changing Lives Through Education Abroad. I'm your host, Zach McInnes, and please make sure to join us next week as we continue to explore topics around international education and exchange. Thank you to my spectacular World Strides colleagues, Lindsay Kelcher and Sarah Katuba, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Please subscribe to Changing Lives or Education Abroad on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And share with your friends and colleagues. Let's create life-changing moments together, people. Mm-hmm.